Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising episode of the Bond Daft Project. Ranking Bond continues. We are here to discuss the best villains of the franchise. Joining me for this discussion is Commander Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. And Steve McCall. A very good afternoon to you guys. Good afternoon. No Fran for this one again. Uh, so just the three of us. I'll read out a list of the rest of the the, be- the villains in the franchise. And we're going to try and get uh, nominate a few to discuss in the final kind of... Uh, to get to a top three, essentially, uh, with a winner and two runners-up in no particular order. And yeah, the three that have been listed in the worst villains that we just previously did as a separate podcast have been removed from this list which is Elliot Carver from Tomorrow Never Dies and Gustav Graves from Die Another Day and the Diamonds Are Forever version of uh, Blofeld played by Charles Grey those are not on this list Uh, Charles Grey won that as the worst Bond villain. Here are the best so here's the nominees for this category. Dr. No Rosa Klebb, Goldfinger Largo Blofeld, played by Donald Pleasance. Blofeld, played by Telus Vallis. Mr. Big, uh, slash Kananga. Scaramanga, Strongberg, Drax, Christatos, Kamal Khan, General Orlov, Max Zorin, Whitaker, General Koskov. Was it General Koskov? Was it a general? I've, done, I've just written Koskov. I think so. I'll go with just, just Just call him Yorgi. Yorgi, right. Yorgi Koskov. Sanchez, Trevalian, Electra King, Renard, Le Chiffre, Dominic Green, Silva, and the final version of Blofeld played by Christoph Waltz. Caveat here, Silva and Blofeld played by Savalas. I'm probably certain we can probably just cut in the sense that they were nominated for the worst one but didn't win or get into the top three. Is anyone wanting to argue? I... <laughs> do actually have one of them on my best villains okay, list. Okay, there we go. Genuinely. Excellent, that's fine. <laughs> so I'm glad I asked. It's, gonna get, it's not going to get very far, but I might just chuck in the argument just for the hell there, of it. Just fair play. Let's, uh, so we'll highlight them just now. Steve, we'll go with yours then. Let's hear what else you've got to say. Cool. So I have got one, two, three, four that I'm going to nominate. And one of them, believe it or not, is Raul Silva from Skyfall. There you go. The other ones I'm going to put forward are Max Zorin from A View to a Kill. Rosa Klebb. From from Russia with love. Excellent. And finally, Scaramanga, man with the golden gun. Yep. Good choices. Okay, okay. Gordon. I'm gonna go for first of all. There's one I'm gonna mention because he's not. I don't think he's up quite top tier. But when we were talking about the essence of the Bond villain, there was just something that funny. I thought I would mention to you guys when I was watching back Thunderball. Right, and I was looking at Emilio Largo. Um, there's a bit, you know, we, we talk about the whole, the Bond villains and how they, they have to kill Bond in an elaborate way. It's like when you said, Stephen, in an earlier podcast about like the, the whole Austin Powers thing of, um, no, no, don't, no, that'd be too easy. Don't, don't just shoot yeah. him. What we'll do is, cause you said, uh, we'll leave him in an easily escapable situation and he can fend for himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, I, and it's funny cause it's, I don't really notice this most of the times I watch Thunderball, but, so Bond, like maybe midway through the film, is um he's sneaking around Lar- uh, Largo's home, Palmeiras, at night, and he starts fighting with a guard. They topple into the swimming pool where the where the tiger sharks are, 
and then Largo appears with a henchman. Now, this other henchman, he's aiming a rifle towards Bond, and Largo, like, he actually pushes the guy's rifle away from Bond. He goes, no, 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 I've got a better idea. And then he, Largo presses some wee switch and the, the roof of the pool appears so that uh, to let Bond drown with the sharks. Like, the, the, it's the fact that like, someone's actually about to shoot Bond right there and then. And he's like, no, 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 that, that would be too easy. I, no, he's, do you know what he says? It's the way he says it. He says, I've got a better idea. <laughs> I, I just thought, because I watched that the other day and I thought that it just kind of sums up like the kind of stereotypical Bond villain. Yeah. I think Largo does that in a lot of ways. But Are you nominating him? I don't think so because there's a, a couple that sneak it. I really like right. Largo. Um, I think he's, uh, yeah, it's the fact that he's the Spectre number two. I think he's number two. He's certainly quite, he's like quite high up the Spectre ranks and he's got having the eye patch he's just got this kind of iconic this he's got this sort of deformity something very memorable because like i said you want your bond on to be memorable i guess his his death's memorable and iconic with the fact it's actually domino that kills him kind of avenging her brother but i don't think he's quite there but i just just for that one thing alone i just thought it's it just sums up the bond villains as we know them yeah okay okay so i'll not mention him but i think got Got to mention, absolutely have to mention, Aura Goldfinger played by Gert Frobe. Uh, he's, yeah, we'll go into it. He's, uh, he was really the genesis for a lot of the megalomania that followed. So he's my number one. Okay. Aura Goldfinger. This is gold, Mr. Bond. <laughs> and then I'll go for, ooh. I'll give you another honourable mention because there's, there's, for me there's so many Bond villains and some that just almost make the cut. I would say Doctor No played by Joseph Wiseman for the way I feel like I feel like with that character, obviously the first Bond film, they didn't just have the genesis of the Bond villain. I feel like the actual villain in the true sense of the word in cinema was kind of, I feel like he helped create that. Just um, somebody that, just the, your kind of average cinema megalomaniac because you look at all of the action films of today or the 70s the 80s the 90s you, you look at like you could say like for example if you've seen speed with uh, dennis hopper he's like a kind of megalomaniac in the background just there's uh, or, there's so many examples i just feel like the he created the tempo not just for the bond franchise but a guy who's in the background just making terrible things happen essentially a terrorist but he's like so powerful he's almost like a king you know what i mean so i think He's like an honourable mention for me. Wow, just an honourable mention? That's just fair play. Yeah, because there's, there's so many others, and I thought like maybe put like, a couple of wild cards. Um, my second true mention, I'll go Mr. Big, a.k.a. Dr. Kananga, played by Yafit Koto. You know that. He's my number two. Okay, okay. Kind of dual, dual villain and a dictator. He's, he's actually a politician. He's like the, you know, the he's the Prime Minister of San Manique, which is so Bond essentially killing him. It's like a political assassination. Wow. So that was kind of yeah. interesting too. Any others? Yeah, I'm going to go with 1989's License to Kill, Franz Sanchez. Yep. And I was, I was going to mention Scaramanga. He's obviously been mentioned, and Zorin. Uh, instead... I'm going to mention... Can I put in a couple more? Yeah, yeah. I, I said up to like five or something. Um, yeah. Sure. I kind of se- separated them into like exaggerated categories. Uh, the exaggerated category and the realistic category because the likes of Dominic Green, um, Scaramanga, Sanchez, you could say they're they're almost realistic villains, right? And um, maybe also like Blofeld played by Christoph Waltz. I'm going to I'm gonna chuck him in there. The Christoph Waltz version? Yeah, Blofeld, yeah. Okay, okay. And my second one, I'm going to go with 
Ooh, I'm actually going to stir things up. I'm going to go for Carl Stromberg. I was going to go for Donald Plensy's Blofeld, but I think he's worth a mention, obviously. Quite a big niche. I don't know. Um, quite surprised you didn't put Drax on this, if I'm honest. Oh God, I missed. I bloody missed Drax, didn't I? Are you, Only uh, when I missed him. Uh, are you wanting to add him as well? <laughs> yeah, I put Drax in there, please. I, I, oh, God, I, he's got to be. He's just, he's just like the... He's the ultimate megalomaniac. Yeah, I, I honestly, he's, he's actually at the top of my list. And I, I bloody started talking to Largo and I forgot all about him. <laughs> right. So there we go. Uh, a fair few of mine that I would have added certainly are on this here. Uh, Scaramanga being one of them, certainly. And Zorin and Sanchez. Um, and shout-outs to Goldfinger as well as Mr. Big. I'm, yeah, the usual. I think you guys must leave him surely just for me to add purely because the golden eye representative. <laughs> I think that's the only reason, of course, right? You guys didn't put him on. We're going for Alec Trevelyan, 006 himself. Goodness gracious, how could he be added so late? Um, <laughs> for England, James. Uh, so uh, I'm also going to add Electra King. I really liked Electra King as a, a villain, and and let's. Well, well, we do actually have Rosa Klebb here as a main villain, so maybe Electra King being the first sort of main villain is not quite true, but depends how you look at it. Rosa Klebb was also working for uh, Blofeld. Um, but yeah, we can get into that in the debate. I wouldn't add any more, just looking over them. Doctor No, I was thinking about it at one point, but I think you were right. Probably it's definitely worth mentioning how important he is to the whole mythos of the supervillain uh, being the first really um i i don't know a lot of the cinema of the 50s and things like that but well early 60s uh he certainly you know paved the way for all of these villains that have then followed he's not given a lot of screen time he's only in really the this the final third but there was a lot there for him but um it, that's one of the things that works really well because they like with with various characters in doctor no they really built him up and they, you heard all this stuff he had a real presence before you actually saw him that gave him this kind of aura, and then you actually see him. I'm almost close to that, but now we've got too many. I'll leave him because I don't think he'd make it on the top three, but I do really feel that he is one of the, he is a great villain. This is where the the fran- we've highlighted so many. This is one of the, fr- the things the franchise has done really well that we're this passionate about. There's that many we feel strongly about. We're obviously losing uh, Blofeld's Telly Savalas. I'm just going to cut that. And the Donald Pleasance version, interestingly enough, the first version of Blofeld we do not have him on this list I wouldn't have put him on purely as yeah he's a little small and also the voice didn't quite work for me um, so he's cut I, sorry I think you're right almost that he's a better character as a mystery than he is as an actual presence yeah yep I agree yeah he was almost up there for me though because um, he was actually on the list but didn't quite make the cut because he's kind of there's so many iconic things I think I think Blofeld had to be revealed, especially because, and he, you know, he played an active role in the books, face to face with Bond, mm-hmm. and he, I think Pleasance, it, it was such a striking look with the scar and the the, the uniform and everything, the white Persian cat, um, and the little things like the fact he has there's that great scene with uh, he has the little pedal to make um, he's 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 basically giving a lecture to. Um, it's to Mr. Asato and to Helga Brand. They were obviously spec agents as well, how they failed to kill Bond. And then he sends them away, and as she's walking, it's like the again, it's like the ultimate megalomaniac. It's like, I can't just have her killed simply. He puts his foot down a little pedal, she falls into the piranhas. It's 
I mean, in cinema, that was just, just such an iconic death because she gets eaten by piranhas and, you know, a female character instantly, you know, piranhas just like tearing her apart in like five seconds. Yeah. And then Mr. Asato is just staring. He can't believe it. And he, and he sends, both of sends away. He's like, kill Bond now. It's just, it's the ultimate madman, you know. Yeah, definitely. But I think um, you see the others, and maybe that's doesn't quite make the cut. Certainly, but Largo as well. You you sh- you give a shout out to Largo. If not, he's not making the list. Um, and let's we'll cut him just now. Doctor No's getting cut, but we have certainly give some props to Doctor No. Cutting Christatos as well. He's one of the ones that I was close to nominating as weakest villain. It's just kind of boring. I kind of not memorable. Um, uh, not for me. Uh, Kamal Khan didn't make the list. General Orlov also not making the list. Standard villains, the they're mid pack, I would say. Uh, Kamal Khan was kind of close for me. I mean, I think he's he's so many great lines. Like the one I've got in my Skype profile is the whole um, Mister Bond's a very rare breed, and and the thing. Oh, do you know the best one he has? Because we talk about um. The the actual lines some of them have are so good. Some of them he says uh, he says you have the most nasty habit of surviving. Mm-hmm. That's that's like one of the top actual bits of dialogue from a villain. So that like that really kind of elevates him. Yeah, no, certainly. Like he's he's probably up in the t- upper half of the best villains, but doesn't obviously make it to the uh, this list. We're cutting the living daylights as villains, Whitaker and Koskov. Uh, I know you weren't as much a fan of these. The sort of more grounded down-to-earth cowardly kind of villains um i liked that side of them though but i just think they were they may they maybe just weren't memorable enough yeah but they should have maybe done more like they made whitaker seem like a bit of a madman with his obsession with war and reenacting battles mm-hmm. but they could have done more with that yeah and renard has been death cut um the sort of over the top sort of characterization of the bullet through the head and the invulnerability or whatever to pain um it just didn't work. Didn't work for me, unfortunately. Even though it was Robert Carlyle and Le Chiffre hasn't made this list. Interestingly, uh, from Casino Royale, you know, one of the me- you know really messed up torture scenes, um, and it was kind of a menace with that character. It's interesting. We've not went for him. He's definitely you know, uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, he almost made it. Actually, do you know what? Um, oh, no, forget it. <laughs> I was gonna say I was maybe thinking of taking out Stromberg there. But Stromberg, he's got some killer lines, and yeah, I don't. He, he, there's a lot more happening with him, maybe. But Le Chiffre, really, really, I mean, he's. I still think he's really up there. So menacing. Well, I mean, we can keep him highlighted and somehow find a way to cut him, but we'll end up having to cut someone. Uh, was it, I mean, was he one that impressed you quite a bit? I think we were all kind of blown away by most of Casino Royale. Yeah, I, I just don't yeah. think he was the best. There was so much else that was better about. Uh, Casino Royale that the villain in that film almost doesn't quite get a look in because there were obviously the Bond was fantastic the some of the henchmen and the the women and stuff like that in the film I think were just so standout that Le Chiffre almost just gets pushed to the back in terms of what's good about that film so I can see why yeah. it perhaps doesn't stand up yeah. to some of the other villains he was a bit more of a this sort of underground villain as much as he had people working for him and things like that he was very much uh a mid-card player in the organization, wasn't he? He was nowhere near yeah. the sort of heights of the bigger villains that we've got here, and maybe there's something to be said for that. Obviously, that film, that that's it worked for that film. Nothing really against mm-hmm. him in that sense, but 
Anyways, he's not been nominated. We have a cold and hard here. We've got a fair number to get through, <laughs> so this is going to be a long debate. So he's getting cut, unfortunately, but props to him there. Uh, I did like Mads Mikkelsen's performance. And the final one that's getting cut is Dominic Green, the uh, Quantum of Solace villain. Uh, I'd forgotten his name. I've only seen that film once, but that maybe says something. It's I did like him at the time. I remember enjoying it purely for that grounded, violent film it was brisk as well but let's face it not memorable and not iconic the way that we're and that's kind of what we're going for here usually with this debate so we now have a fair number i'm trying to my maths i've I'd lost i was trying to count and talk at the same time it doesn't work but uh close to about 12. 10, 10 i think so uh, 12 uh, so 12 so 12 uh characters on this list uh how do we start narrowing this down guys does anyone want to nominate one that feel Maybe gets the gets cut or wants to. to, to what 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 where do you want to go with this, Steve? We'll start with you. I'm going to get straight in there, and I can see which one is going to get get cut, and potentially deservedly so. So let's let's dive <laughs> into uh, Raul Silva again. Okay. And I mean the the reason I've got him is because I I think my memory of him is stuck more particularly to the first part of the film, the first half of the film, where he is genuinely chilling. His dialogue when he's talking to Bond, when he's got him captured on the island, is fantastic. I love the way that he teases Bond. I really do. Um, and it's just, it was something different. We'd never kind of seen those tones from a villain before. The villain was always just either downright evil or just corny and sort of badly written. But this was someone who was just creepy and chilling. And the way that, that again, what I've got in my head is that long shot where he, he walks into shot. It's just really well done. Yeah. But I will absolutely concede yeah. that yeah. towards the end where he, from where he, he, he supposedly escapes from that ultra-high-tech cell, he was the victim of some daft writing, to be honest. he The, the way that everything was just set up um, to happen just at exactly the time that it should have done just again, it, it got daft from there on in, and he, he he doesn't he stands out as such a bad example of what a police officer should look like. That everyone around, everyone on the tube network, if I was in London, I'd walk past him in a police uniform, and I think that that's not a police officer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the bleach blonde hair, all that. I know, yeah, uh, longish. <laughs> so many re- police regulations. I think he breaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the murdering as well. That's probably yeah. Yeah, no, it's like I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, trespassing that's in the railway line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a fair argument, Steve. Uh, and I, um, I think in this group of people, he's obviously not making the cut. Um, no. So you have to be realistic, but fair play for nominating him. I, 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 he is one of the stronger ones for me. But Gordon has made some great points in the worst uh, debate. We we don't have to sort of bring it all up gordon you, you can summarize i suppose if you want why um he he wouldn't make the cut here well i think it's about individual perception as well steve because i mean there's no there's no official rule that you have to watch every bond in the sequence that they were made i mean imagine you were quite like coming into the franchise new today and you just happened to start with skyfall maybe your first or second film you may well i guess in that i guess a person could have a perception that they were, they would feel at the genesis of a, a true Bond on they might maybe not like Doctor No or Goldfinger as much. You know, it maybe just it's maybe for me just having, you know, seen I seen the Bond films, not necessarily in the order they were made, but um starting a lot with the older ones and generally working towards the newer ones. But yeah, I mean in summary I, I think um 
as much as I like Javi Bardem, I feel in that he tried too hard to be a Bond villain and he just didn't come across sort of believable for I know Bond villains are maybe believable, but he didn't I just don't think he took it seriously for a second. Okay. Yep. Uh we'll cut him. Uh fair play the nomination. He was in the upper half in some sense, if you look at it that way, of our favourites, but uh, no further for Silva. He's been cut. Gordon, is there any you want to talk about to cut or potentially highlight as a lock-in? Aye. Um, as a lock-in, I'm going to go with um, Francisco Scaramanga. Mm-hmm. He's so good. Chris Lee's so good. He was such a talented actor. The, there's so much of the, again, the essence of the true Bond villain is he's a little island hideout. He, um, he's kind of revered. I mean, in the spy world, it's like they know who the man with the golden gun is. They know there's this guy that he's just a hitman that operates in his own. He's the only guy in the bloody world with a, a golden gun that's assembled from like a cigarette and a cigarette case and a lighter and all that. He's, um, he's like the most deadly assassin in the world. And just, it's the whole thing. He's like an opposite of Bond. You see that coming out later when, when Moore's Bond has the duel with him. And it's great just seeing the opposites, but he kind of has a respect for Bond. He comes with that whole reputation. And I guess they did different to what they did with Dr. No. They, they revealed Scaramanga early in the film, but it's, that also can work as well as not showing a villain to build up the aura around them. They built up the aura around him by showing him in the pre-title sequence in his own kind of little zone, taking out some gangster. Yeah. And it just showed like as the fact the thing is as well, Scaramanga, he didn't need all this kind of um hardware with the Solex and all, which I think kinda lets him down. I'll get on to that, but it's kinda the opposite of Bond. He's uh I love I think it's a he's got some fantastic dialogue. I, I love the dinner scene because he kind of has a respect for Bond, but in the dinner scene it's like it sort of finally gets thrown out the window and they start having a little bit of a an argument and he says to Bond, like, you work for peanuts and all this, and he says, like, and he's telling, and, and then you get, you know, it's like Moore actually taking things seriously, says, oh, when I kill, it's under orders from the government. You, you see how Scaramanga gets pleasure from just being an assassin, but Bond's doing under orders. It, it's, and just, it's such an iconic thing, seeing them in that island out in, I think it was in Thailand. It's such an iconic base for a villain. And he's got, see, see, seeing Chris Frilly and Roger Moore back to back with their pistols aloft. It's seeing the, again, the opposite, the, this special golden pistol and this more average looking wolf of PPK, obviously. Bit of a difference in height. Roger Moore's a big guy, but Chris Lee's even taller. He's just, he just, it's, it's the, the attire as well, you know. Chris Lee, you know, he's slicked back here, you know, a bit of a tan and all. It's, 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 and he's got, you know, he's got his henchman knickknack running around after him. It's, I mean, he's, I think he's one that, I mean, you guys were, obviously, Steve McCall, you, you mentioned Scaramanga. What was about Scaramanga that really floats your boat? I think Scaramanga's potentially in the running to win this whole thing. I think he's yeah. the best villain of the yeah. entire franchise. He's fantastic. And I love that idea that he wants to kill Bond. He's evil. He hates Bond. But at the same time, he loves Bond. He's obsessed with Bonds. You know, the way that he's yeah. got that entire little kind of layer where he's got various Bonds. And he, he has people in to try and take out Bonds. It's that obsession. It's so... I don't know what it is about Scaramanga, but he I think he, he's he's just menacing. Yeah. Um, but ultimately very evil. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah. For uh, all I said, 
Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, sorry, Steve, I don't, he, there's one thing um, which I think detracts, but I'll get onto that later because he may not win it for me, but I'd be interested, I, Steve, to... He definitely is in, the, is in the top three. There's no doubt about it. He's a certain lock-in. Um, I think he's a fantastic villain and the writing mostly served him well and also the performance. Christopher Lee's fantastic. Best casting they've They've one one of the best casting of the entire franchise. Uh, he for me elevated that film an entire star, maybe star and a half. It was a a low two for me. It got the three because of that, because the rest of the film around him isn't so great. It's very tacky, smutty, and silly, and things like that. The real comic stuff of the Moore era was prevalent in that film. And the Guy Hamilton it was the final Guy Hamilton film. But Christopher Lee elevated that film for me um, purely. Just as a great character, it's a great idea. The sort of villain who's like, you're not so different, you and I. You know that that's sort of on a par with Bond. Someone who, yeah, he's a main villain, right? He's got his own base. He's got all this sort of hallmarks of a main villain. He's got this kind of his own island and, and these kind of things, and he's clearly powerful and devious and his schemes and all that. But he also is is kind of the guy who will do his own dirty work in a way. Like he is the assassin himself. He is just as 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 effective in that area as you know as bond he is trying to be a match for bond and that edges him above people like stromberg and drax who are different and have their own kind of menace and things like that but scaramanga is the all-encompassing and yep i fully uh, cement that scaramanga is in this top three without a doubt so that's one highlighted and a certain lock-in uh i'm gonna offer cut one I'm going to go for Blofeld, the Christoph Waltz version. I've kind of my I, my sort of feelings on Blofeld as a character has always been recently anyway that uh, it's a character that works better the build up and the, and the reveal has never been quite so quite as good. I will give that scene though um, when you first meet him. So I'm getting a lot of noise, Yuri you, you Gordon. Just getting a lot of feedback. I saw you just getting comfortable. Yeah, cool. I'll wait till you, you're alright. Uh, Sorry. All right, man. Suitably adjusted. <laughs> um, aye, so yeah, what I will give you that scene, no, in that lair he has a kind of what is that like a temple or something? Um, you know the big yeah. me- the big meeting with all this the specter heads that was great, real sinister, um, and uh, kind of I think the when he turns and everyone looks at Bond, all that great stuff there. I, I hate really hate that whole reveal later on in the film with the uh the link to Bond and the fami- kind of their family in some ways. It's just tired. It is lazy. It's detracts completely for me. That that it takes him out as well as that. I don't know. He's. I feel like he's been playing Blofeld all his career, <laughs> so he's the most obvious choice for it. Yeah. So it's almost disappointing that they didn't kind of the the film didn't match that there's disappointment in with that i feel for me so that's why i would cut him he doesn't for me he doesn't make top three i don't know how you steve obviously gordon you nominated him steve what's your thoughts on him yeah i he doesn't he doesn't rank massively um highly for me that i know i i do kind of i prefer obviously as gordon pointed out bond has to meet Blofeld at some point because he's that kind of important a character but I did I really really like the early films where you don't see him and he's just this this voice and this presence and the way he sort of kills off his agents that he feels have um 
betrayed him or whatever. That's kind of that's the blowfield that I like to think of. Um, when you bring him out into the open, it, he doesn't work as well. So he he's definitely not up there for me. Yeah, I mean he's by no means the worst blowfield. I think I still rank him oh, no. above Telus Savalas and obviously Charles Gray. So he didn't get into that worst category, but he also it doesn't meet. It just doesn't fully work as a certainly as a best villain when you've got the likes of Scaramanga and the others that we'll get onto. Gordon. How do you feel about that? Are you wanting to to fight for that, or do you feel we we would cut him? I'll give old Christoph a bit of backing here. I think, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think, in all fairness, yeah, I think maybe cut him out. I mean, what is really memorable with him is, like you said, Steve, the 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 big Spectre meeting. I mean, it was ripe after decades to have a reenactment of it, kind of like the Spectre meeting, the Thunderball, you know, the the big table, an even bigger table probably, and it's so superbly lit. It's the fact you see it. It's a good reveal. First of all, I, you mentioned first actually you see him in the in the funeral scene, and it's it's so well worked with the camera how you you see the side of his face. It's as though he knows Bond's there, but he's not looking at him again. You just get that sense of presence from Christoph Waltz, and then the whole Spectre meeting. You, his face is like half in shadow, and it's it's just such a profound moment when. Bond has no idea that the Bofeld would know he, he's there, and then he just suddenly looks up at him, and you can actually tell Craig's Bond is just so stunned, he can't believe it, that he's actually, he just, out of nowhere, he just turns his head and stares at Bond. It's, I think as well, uh, if you look at later in the film, and, and then of course this is where the film falls apart a bit, it's like Bond and, and Madeline just rock up to Blofeld's base without any plan, they just think they can walk in through the front door, and of course, he kind of captures them, gives them a bit of a tour. Um, it's getting into like old Blofeld territory. It's like classic villain territory. He's shown he's shown Bond and Swan through the his big sort of HQ and his all the the computer monitors where he's basically he's keeping a an eye on everyone in the world through his surveillance. And it's such great dialogue at times. I think he gives there's that brilliant line or two about the women in Bond's life, and he's. He summarises the way that they linked all four of Craig's first four films. He's saying like, oh, Vesper Lynn died and um, and this happened and that happened. And he says, James, I'm the... He says something like, I'm the author of all your pain. And the way... I mean, Waltz was... He was sort of born, born to be a Bond villain. And it's just like such a profound line. He says like, all the women that have died in your life is because of me. Well, not all, but you know... It's, I mean, that really kind of elevates him, but he's kind of creepy as well. He just get the Bond villain tunic. He doesn't, if you notice, he doesn't wear any socks. Yeah, I don't know if that works though for me. I think it's a bit. It's a, it's a, it's a different take. It's fine. It's like there's, yeah. a, there's a casual element to it that it adds to him. Um, I kind of, I think it's, it's like kind of curious a, and it's, like it's a, a funny kind of trait. I quite like it. It's actually. like a Bond villain on holiday kind of look. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gives him a kind of weird look. It's like it's like kind of contemporary. You see a lot of men these days don't wear socks. True. But... Yeah. Um, yeah. He's 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 decent in ways, and I think he does his best. And I just it's maybe the the plot <laughs> around him and that reveal for me that really soured the experience. If I'm honest. Um, yeah. It's not one of my favorites. Um, you can say also it's kind it's kind of uh, a negative to his character. See when his helicopters crashing at the end, he seems to be getting all panicky, and you feel like a big powerful character like Bofeld 
maybe wouldn't panic in that situation, but he'd still be kind of smug even though he thinks he's going to die. It's like, that's maybe not what a powerful Bond villain would do. It's like he's like holding on to something, mm. knowing that the helicopter's about to hit the water, hit the ground. Yeah. Uh, are we okay to cut, do you think? Or you want to hold off and see what else? But we will have to probably come back to him, certainly. Yeah, we'll cut him, cut yeah, him out, yeah. We'll never, get, we'll never get finished. Right. Blofeld, Christoph Waltz's performance has been cut from Spectre. Uh, Steve, what's uh, who else you want to tackle? One, cool. All right. Um, I think I'm gonna attempt to lock in, and I'm gonna go for Rosa Kleb. Okay. Who is? I mean, as a as a villain, generally, I love her her absolute dedication. Um, but she she kind of yeah she's she's dedicated, but she's also genuinely evil she wants nothing more than to to kill bond but i think also most of all having a sort of very prominent female villain was probably quite forward thinking for the franchise at that time considering we've spoken a lot about the treatment of women particularly in the earlier films and how it's dated and how a lot of it's wrong this i think is kind of an example of credit where credit's due because she's also yeah. she's not a stupid character. She's genuinely evil. I like the, I like the sort of gimmick of the um the knife in the shoe, the poison knife in the shoe, mm-hmm. um and how a kind of kick to the shin could effectively kill him. Um, yeah. yeah, I like her as a character. I like the way she's played. I enjoy her screen presence and the way she she kind of pops up, particularly at the end when you think all is done with. Um, she kind of tries to come back for one last shot at taken out bonds only obviously to get shot and killed mm-hmm. but her dedication as a uh a bond villain but also just what she kind of did i suppose at that time for women on screen yeah she wasn't played stupidly yeah. she was played fantastically she's she's not an idiot like some of the bond girls have been i think she's well worth a mention yeah 1963 you know it's quite incredible actually uh, obviously, there's a sort of hierarchy in a sense that technically she's not the main villain, but you, the way that we we looked at Largo as the main villain of Thunderball, she is the one that's you know uh, making the moves, the similar to I suppose Doctor No and uh, from Russia with Love, and so she is the the villain of that film, which is yeah, I keep talking about in the podcast and forgetting actually quite um, that, that you know about I was talking about Electra King and so she's the main villain but we kind of already had it by the second film and yeah it's something I should really try and remember because that's that is something to be said and yeah you're right she was intimidating she was fierce the way she um when she's sort of like testing uh Red Grant's character you know, she she whacks him in the the middle of the stomach to see if he flinches. He doesn't move, and she's like, "Yeah, he'll do." Um, you know, she knows what she wants. Uh, yeah, kind of a lead as a leader, definitely. Um, yeah, I, she kind of she she's pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. She's kind of she's masterminding everything. She's intelligent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good shout. What you said, Steve, about the what it was doing for. Uh, female characters in the cinema at that point I completely agree with that. I also think similarly in Goldfinger a year later that you know having Honor Blackman such a prominent role she similar to she did so much great stuff in that film like the central she kind of like saved um you know saved all the life so she Pussy Galore did more of value in the latter part of that film than Bond did you know so she was such 
a prominent female character, and that was, you know, kind of ahead of its time as well in 1964, similar to with Cleb. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay, so we have two lock-ins, and we obviously need to try and maybe cut some more before we get uh, down to this. Uh, Gordon, you want to take a stab at uh, narrowing this list down? I to take one out, I'm going to... I'll take out one my own first, right, just because... Mm. Do I take out? Do I take out Stromberger? Do I take out Kananga? Now Kananga's got quite a poor death scene, but Stromberg's isn't the best. Mm. I'll, I'll take out Stromberg because I feel he's going to get chopped because I don't think I don't think he's too favourably looked at with everyone else. So I think he's going to come out. So I may as well like just get Carl out there while he's you know. It's helped that he's Save in a great. The, uh, he's in a great film. And I'm going to shelter him from the storm and like <laughs> shelter him from all your wrath and just get him out. I mean, I I, I like Stromberg. Um, I think he the way he speaks to people, he has, you know, he's not a nice character. Um, and obviously he has one quirk, the the sort of webbed feet or webbed hands or something. It's very subtle. The film doesn't really elaborate, kind of showcase it too much or make a big deal about it. I love how they made it subtle, though, because they could have so easily made a big deal about that. Do you know what I mean? As maybe for the best, because I think if they really showed that a lot or whatever and tried to make a big deal, it might have been too silly. And, and th- thankfully, that film was the one that they were pulling back from the silliness from The Man with the Golden Gun. Maybe if yeah. it was around, you know, with the thinking they had in Living Like Dying, Man with the Golden Gun, they might have. But um, it was just enough to give them that slight quirkiness that they tended to have. Um, as a villain, he's standard in a way, you know, he's got the big, you know, um, the super tanker base and all these kind of things, and he's got a kind of, he does some evil stuff, but he's also maybe, he's, he doesn't make it up for me as the and the most iconic or memorable, he's a, a good, strong, upper tier villain, but not, not in the, the top category, so I would cut him as well. Yeah, that's because I kind of, I kind of anticipate what's coming. I know he's not gonna really get near the top few, so I just thought like let's just um, get him out there, okay. get him substituted. I think um, Kurt Jurgens is such a presence for me. I think he's a great actor, and I think you need an aquatic villain if you like as over the top as it is. It's the same as you need an aquatic Bond every once in a while. Like I, I I'm surprised if I think they need to like maybe get Daniel Craig in his last film underwater because Bond. Yeah, every so often you need to bond in the underwater world, but I love I love Stromberg's obsession with the ocean, how he has that big aquarium with all the it's the most like exotic fish and and um and like aquatic mammals going around him. And he's uh he's got like the, the Bond villain tunic. He's got kinda he's got some great lines, I think. Carl Jurgens in that film. Everyone always goes on about oh Oh, Mr. Bond, I've been expecting you. He's actually, he was actually the guy who created that. That was his line. I don't know. I don't, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of that, but it's when Bond arrives at Atlantis at his base right at the end before Bond disposes of him. He, um, it's, that's such a profound line. Mr. Bond, I've been expecting you. You know, that, he, and there's other great lines. Like he's like, observe Mr. Bond, the instruments of Armageddon. I think though, again, because you, you gotta look at what maybe like Stromberg down is, so, like, obviously you get positives like Kurt Jurgen's presence, his intensity, you know, his delivery of the lines is a very kind of intense villain, but I think also what maybe is letting him down is you, the his plot, it's like, how do you get to the point where you're creating an underwater world? I mean, 
I know he he's he's gonna target like New York and Moscow. It's like New York and Moscow cease to exist. So first of all, how does it? How does he get to the point he's gonna create a, a world underwater? You know, how is that gonna happen from nuclear Armageddon? And also, the other thing is, right? You can you can equate this to like Drax and all the other real Bond megalomaniacs. You would think, see if these guys are making these like world dominating plans. You know, causing nuclear disasters, causing huge genocide. Do they not expect repercussions? It's like. See if a big world power, let's say North Korea, you know, launches some nuclear attack in somewhere in the West. There's going to be, they know that there's going to be repercussions. There's a nuclear deterrent, you know, that we have in our country and all that. You know, it's like the, the, these megalomaniacs, you wonder, do they not, um, do they not expect, oh, I'm going to do this and life's going to be great, but do they not expect someone's going to come back at them? Yep. Yeah. Not, not the smartest sometimes, eh? I just thought I'd jump in and say, yo, yo, yo. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. What, uh, where did this person come from? Well, I had, um, unfortunately, I, I don't have any data left on my phone. Well, data or minutes or text or anything, and my Wi-Fi went down, so I, I was kind of cut off from the entire world um, until I could fix my Wi-Fi was your, or my internet in the house. I was trying to phone you. Was your phone off? I didn't get any calls or anything, but it's, it's basically what's happened is I haven't been paid and I'm res- I'm restricted on it. My pay's not come in. All right. It's a, very lo- it's, a, it's a very long story, but... Um, is a, a sort of a, a sort of a confluence of events conspired to to have me cut off from all of technological society today. So I've just about man- just basically managed to get the internet to come back on. I don't know what was wrong with it. I just kept on plugging it and plugging it back in, and it's now working. So all right. Uh, well, um, on on that note, Fran, if you, if you've got some really positive thoughts about Carl Stromberg to keep him in our list, then would that be the case? I don't. I don't remember if you were. I don't think you were Stromberg's biggest fan, were you? Um, remind me, because like I, I, I remember him when you tell me the film he was in. What, what was his plot again? It was the Spy Who Loved Me. He's basically Mister Under the Sea Man. He wants a world under the sea, and oh, Stromberg. Yeah, yeah. I think originally was planned to be Blofeld, but he kind of became his own entity. But he's was very. He, was he not the one that had that like he had like the music playing and the people getting killed? Like, you know, I love it because yeah, that there's that as well, isn't there? That is so iconic. See that see obviously it's similar to like when Bofeld killed off Perante or like thrown to the prize. Remember Stromberg like uh, causes his assistant to get eaten by the shark. I I, I mean he, he was like a very much a kind of a it was a theatrical sort of villain. There was something so over the top and mad about him, about his obsession with the with, with the with the ocean as well. I mean, he was just yeah. one of those, one of those really kind of. He, he did seem like quite a quirky villain, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, is it a top five that we're aiming for, or a top three? A uh, top three. A top three. So I, I don't think he would be. <clears throat> so you've got how many left? Three, six, nine. Probably would be in the top ten, I'd say. Yeah, I actually volunteered but, to remove. I put him in, and then very quickly removed him. All right. Yeah, I was. I was quite interested in the list when I was looking at it just now, just to see where you'd got to. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to throw in any now because you might already have talked about them. But there's a few there I would have picked myself, like Trevelyan and Electra King, and Max Zorin. Um, Drax is another one. I mean, there's just so many good villains in Bond. It's it's almost you could almost have a list of every single one of them. We did at one point. Uh, we cut. We did the worst, and then we cut the ones that didn't make that. Um, and then the sort of these are the ones that have been nominated for the final discussion for the. 
uh, best villain. Uh, so that was Gordon. Fran, are you wanting to talk about one to either highlight as a lock-in or cut? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, God, so we've already locked in Rosa and Rosa Kleb and Scaramanga as two of the three. Yeah, we've agreed Scaramanga is a certified lock-in that he, like, Rosa Kleb we say lock-in. I mean, if we have four of us on this, then technically we're going to be four lock-ins, maybe, potentially. So one would have to get cut. She's highlighted. I would as, as say one. Rosa Klebb is a shoo-in. Right. Okay. Well. Well. An absolute shoo-in. I think I'd have to a really poison say poison shoo at that. Oh, <laughs> a poison shoo-in. <laughs> I'd have to say that out of all of them on that list that haven't been locked in already, I'd say it's really got to be Trevelyan mm-hmm. to lock in because I feel like you know, really, without just the bias and the importance of that film in our own lives, like from the age that we are all having gone to see that and, and all that kind of thing and the game for the N64 being so iconic the, the, just re-watching GoldenEye and seeing that fight between Trevelyan and Bond at the end, I mean, without all the rest of it, just that fight at the end where you got to see two fully trained MI6 agents going at it against each other was just incredible. It's kind yeah. of like all coming together, isn't it? Because they were obviously that rivalry just is a thread throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing them how pally and close they were at the early in the film, it's kind of like um, if Bond had any few friends in the world, but just because of the kind of job he does, Trevelyan, it looks like he actually had a friendship with. Yeah, there's something very profound about you know if you ever fallen out with a really dear friend, and and the way it's the whole thing. See when Bond kills Trevelyan, Trevelyan was falling, and Bond wouldn't just let him fall. Bond had to catch him so that he could drop him. It's like extra. It's like Bond just had to do that to make it extra powerful, you know. So he could, it was almost as though so Bond could give him those last words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know my feelings on Trevelyan. I love uh, Trevelyan as a villain. Um, that pers- the personal stakes uh, really add to that. The, the, it's a it's a brisk film, Goldeneye, and and in that you still get a a, a feeling within that first preamble sequence that these two have been on missions together they know each other really well uh and that then turns obviously when Trevelyan uh you know the plan later on down the years down the line he, be- he turns evil he even considered getting James on his side which I like the idea of that, that imagine him asking you know I'm thinking of uh thinking of creating a sort of crime syndicate and if you want to you want to join me make kind of fun like um I don't know that the idea of that. So yeah, I like I really like Trevelyan. He's a lock in for me. Um, so that if those were our final three, it means we're losing. Let's just go over these to see if anyone feels that we can lose them. Uh, Goldfinger is that? Uh, I, I mean, I I would cut Goldfinger, but it's... he's an iconic character. But is he a great <laughs> villain in the grand scheme of things? I'm not entirely sure. You could because I was I was hovering over potentially cutting Goldfinger, but I was kind of holding back because he's so iconic. Some of his lines are among the most. Because am I am I right in saying Goldfinger was the do you expect me to talk? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I expect you to die. Um, the just. <sighs> That made it tricky for me, but I I think as as a villain, I don't think he's up there. He's just a great presence on the screen. He's a great character, but yeah, uh, I would be 
I would be happy to see him of the ones that we've got left anyway probably cut. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Gordon, you were probably the big fan of Goldfinger. I'm surprised. Are you okay with seeing him cut from this list? Mm, I may, I may yet concede. Um, I think for me, he would have maybe a bit. Mm, he's got a lot going for him, Goldfinger. I think. Do you know what does let him down is maybe his death scene isn't the best. Getting sucked out of the plane doesn't look particularly good. Oh yeah. Even the nineteen sixties <laughs> standards, the cushions flying around. But he has so many iconic scenes, so many iconic lines. He kills his own henchman. You know, again, that's it's a true sign of a megalomaniac. He, um, he also yeah, kills he actually, anyone who's going to do a deal with him, regardless of what yeah. they did in the deal. And he kills, obviously, kills. Um, well, he has odd job kill Tilly Masterson, uh, but he has he kills Jill Masterson in Miami. You know, and it's just the most like not only an iconic moment, but it's like a <clears throat> horrific, deadly thing to do. He can't, you know, he has to do it to leave a message, like have her all painted in gold. And again, he was just the genesis of so much that was to come. Is and you got to put so much of it down this this skillfulness of of Gert Frobe, um, who did not speak good English at all, and you wouldn't even know he was dubbed and. The whole, the whole, um, the imagery of greed. Everything he has is gold. I think even like in his clothes, like he wears like suit jackets and a waistcoat and everything that are gold. Gold is all he loves, you know. And there's, there's also like parallels with Bond in it, or like they're like opposites in some ways. But like it's like when you see him playing, I find it's such a great. The entire sequence of Bond and him playing golf is so good, and I think you see the. That's where there's sort of parallels. The two of them obviously are motivated by they're both kind of motivated by killing in in some in some way. They're both they both have the passion of golf. They both, you know, like having beautiful women around them. They both love their classic cars. Like it's like Bond's got an Aston Martin DB five, which is probably the thing at that point. And then Goldfinger's got an older kind of Rolls Royce, which is like paint half painted in gold. It's just and then but then you see really, there's even like real attention to detail with Goldfinger because you see him like in the back of his car, like going through the Alps, like just like sniveling. You see him when he's talking to Bond, like, I mean, this is me going like ultra details, like scratching his eye, like just making him, they do, they do have moments where they try and bring a bit of, they try and make it and as crazy as his plot is, like they try and give him real human qualities, you know, he'll still behave like a normal human being at times. Do you, do you know what's funny, time. Gordon, actually, in, in fact, about Goldfinger, in some ways he reminds me of like Donald Trump because like the whole obsession with gold and you know just this crass kind of do you know what I mean? I was like, about to say the two people you associate with being obsessed with gold are Donald Trump and Saddam Hussein. Mm. So yeah, yeah. there is that. But Donald Trump did come to mind actually. There's a lot in common there. I think the big gold thing is just is just again he's he's up there on the platform with like Drax and Stromberg is. Or even Carver's like the ultimate megalomaniacs, or Blofeld, you know, he um he doesn't he's going for like mass genocide just so just because he's greedy, just so he can dominate the gold supply. And is that there's that lovable sequence where he uh when he'll have, he'll have all these gangsters killed, but before he does that, he'll he'll he has all this technology as the pool table open up into, you know, a huge, very detailed scale model. He's going on about, you know, the detail of his plan in Fort Knox. It's, and and with that, um, yes, yeah, just just sort of the ultimate megalomaniac. It's just, um, 
And it's, it's yeah. the fact as well as hospitable to Bond, because that's the thing. I, sorry, Steve, if I interrupt you, I was just going to, I right. just suddenly thought there's, because it's like, what can make the villains even more deadly is how they can be hospitable. He's like, because he, he offers, you know, Bond to come out and sit with him in, in the ranch and, you know, orders him a drink and he's like checking that the drink's like, he's happy with the way the drink tastes and he's, um, I don't know, because he's, he's kind of, he treats Bond well for a lot of it. He, he allows Bond to go with him to Fort Knox, but it's like, the ulti- again, it's like, like what Drax did, he could have had Bond killed earlier in the film, but he's like, no, instead of shooting him, let him see the plan unfold, let him see the gold vault, put him in the gold vault, actually put him in with the nuclear bomb. It's just mental, man. But it's hard to, it's hard to take him out. I mean, but he's, cause like I say, he's got so much going for him, but, you know. Yeah, I'm actually almost turned. Cause again, just thinking about it, the, just the iconicness of him. The, obviously the, the scene with the laser, the iconic laser ball scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's tough. Uh, and yeah. I forgot about how good his, his plan was because his, his plan's actually, he's actually got a bit more intelligence than the other villains, I suppose. Cause the other villains are just, oh, I want to kill. People, I want people to dead or whatever. But Goldfinger, he, like as we've pointed out, he wants to, he wants to effectively nuclearize the US's gold supply to increase the value of his. There's actually a little bit of intelligence in there, and, and even the, the way he smuggles it from country to country is quite intelligent using the the bodywork of his car. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of there's there's brain and brawn in there, and that that combination, I suppose, is is kind of the all rounded. Uh, I'm actually gonna. <laughs> I know I'm the one that said I think I'm gonna take him out. I'm gonna. I think I might backtrack from that decision unless anyone else can argue stronger in favor of him being taken out. It's tough. Um, this is. I knew this one was gonna be tough. Yeah, this is tough. Like, because it's not like the other options here are all like obvious cuts either. Like, uh, it's I, weird. It's hard because I was thinking like, um, like I, I'd always thought of Goldfinger above Rosa Clay, but it's like. You're not quite comparing like the lie with them because the the main thing is like she's like a very deadly kind of she does all that's necessary to be a top villain because you don't have to be a megalomaniac you don't have to have you know loads of bars of gold and a gold car you know you don't have to be flashy you can be you can be do you know what I mean so I think they're both equally good and it's like how do you comp- it's like comparing um you know uh, a Sanchez with a gold finger it's like that you can be deadly in different ways yeah um. I I think I would I would mainly give Rosa Klebb the slight nod above Goldfinger purely because as much fun as it was that ridiculous meeting scene, just the sort of nonsensical nature of Goldfinger's plan to have this meeting in which he ends up murdering everyone involved anyway after telling them all. Essentially, they're the the surrogate of the audience. They're just his way of explaining to the audience what he's doing and why he's doing it and how he's doing it but they've found these mafia guys these mobsters to to sort of to explain the plan and then one you know one disagrees and ends up getting killed and the others all get gassed anyway um i just think the silliness of it as funny as it is to laugh at it kind of takes him a wee it's a point against him if you can find that whereas i don't think any of the wrote the stuff and from Russia with Love is a very intelligently kind of plotted film. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um and I don't think that's the thing say it. that about that. Kinda of depends on your point of view, doesn't it? Because like um the likes of Trevelyan again is like 
he's a top villain in a different way. It's not like he's any worse or any better. The same as like Rosa Klebs, not necessarily any worse or any better than Goldfinger. They're just different, yeah. deadly and memorable in a different way. So it's what, hard to explain. You know, it's like me. It's like me comparing a a very powerful cart, a very powerful train. They're used for two different purposes. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, let's try and find... I feel like there's one... We could maybe look at Max Zorin here because he is essentially that film's version of Goldfinger. The plot is a similar style. It's just trading in um, the gold for the kind of trying to monopolize the the sort of tech industry. Ah, you're t- you're starting to take take down Max there because because he's got so much going from. But you've actually you've made me remember probably. I that's like the thing maybe something that detracts because it is kind of it's not quite original. His yeah. what he's doing. It's yeah, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Huge fan of Christopher Walken, and I do like him in that film. I actually they don't maybe do enough with him. Um, they do. They, they, he's got some stuff, but maybe I feel like we could have done a bit more with him. I suppose he may be better as Goldfinger in certain ways like the fact that he was, it's knowing that he was a Nazi experiment, that he's a he is kind of like a a freak, like they mentioned in the film and that's why he's a psychopath he's more of a psychopath than, than Goldfinger, so he's, he's got that going for him Yeah, certainly, again it's not like for like in a way, isn't it? Uh, it's This is difficult. <laughs> How do we find a cut here? What about Sanchez then? Does he not make this um completely different in the sense that he's you know he's essentially a cartel boss um and similar to what you know pablo escobar and these kind of figures at the time this film was made in the late 80s so Arcananga even i guess they're both kind of yeah drug lord i think sanchez is timely but i don't know if he's what you want from i'm starting to kind of try and think objectively about the the stereotypical bond villain you kind of want an edge. You want something different. You want something maybe, maybe slightly either over the top or something really kind of that makes him stand out as a villain. And I think you kind of hit it in that Sanchez. He's he is just he's a drug lord. He's a powerful drug lord. But at the end, of the day, he is just a drug lord. And is that perhaps too realistic um, in terms of perhaps what you'd want from? I suppose I, I get the I kind of my thinking is that you want a Bond villain to have just something that's a bit kind of outlandish yeah. about them. Yeah. And would, Sanchez yeah. is uh, he's absolutely uh maybe evil. and he's the villain from my favorite Bond film. Yeah. That's the but, point. It works for that film, but maybe it doesn't necessarily make him in the pantheon of the entire Bond film legacy. Maybe it doesn't make him top villain material. If you say to the average person on the street, name me a Bond villain, I don't think anyone, mm. unless they happen to be a particularly big sort of fan of the franchise, is going to say Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's You've like so Stratos, for example, you wouldn't, yeah. Okay. Not a lot of people in the street may have thought of him. I would say, see what Sa- yeah, you were right, Steve. I mean, what Sanchez was right at the time. He was right. He was so right for that film. The same as I said last week, that Dario was right for that film as his henchman. I think with, with Sanchez, I mean, I would maybe take him out for that reason. That I think we can take out Sanchez. I would say, though, see, in terms of him being, you know, having a little thing to make him very memorable and iconic, I suppose a slight thing is like, well, this was just having to be the way Robert Davy looked. He's, he's like sort of acne scars in his face. Made, that kind of made him look extra deadly. And I think but he had that little iguana that sat on his shoulder. That was a really Bond villainy thing, I thought. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a slight kind of quirkiness maybe to him, but... Uh, that probably... maybe feels a little like the makers went, oh, quick, we need to give him something that uh, makes him stand as a Bond villain. Yeah. Uh, right, Iguana. Yeah. I, I think, think there's Sanchez is... Well, yeah. Uh, well, on you go, Steve. I'll you go I was going to say, I think we can still cut him, to be honest. I think we'll have to cut him just on the basis that the Goldfinger-Rosa yeah. Kleb debate is still going on, and yeah. we've still got Zorin and the others we haven't even discussed. I think we. I would say Sanchez, though, like the last thing I'm going to say is probably he's maybe the most powerful villain of the whole franchise because he's so powerful. He actually is in control of the president in in this fictitious country, Ismus, and he, you know, even he owns like he owns the bank, he owns the casino. He bribe apparently he can't even be touched by the law in South America because he bribes everyone. But and then he's he's it kind of gives him that extra edge. However, for a while, because I mean, he thinks that the the bond. Is kind of on his side. He, he's really hospitable towards Bond. He's like asking him if he wants cream with his coffee and sugar and all that. And he's like, he's dead polite. He's kind of softly spoken, but he's so deadly. He has like, he has like his henchmen. You know right away, man. He is, his daddy will rip out a guy's heart because his girlfriend slept with him. Mm. So that just like sets up the character. I mean, I, that's the thing. We're talking. He's in the top ten of the best villains, or that close enough. Uh, but I think to get to a top three, we have to be realistic. I don't think he's making it. Um, so on that basis, I think we're cutting him, yeah? Yeah, yeah. like I said, cut, yeah. cut him now. Right, okay. Um, uh, I was going to say, when you said most powerful, now, is most powerful not someone with a space station? Someone yeah, like I know. Or is most powerful Gust- Gustav Graves? Because he can electrocute somebody with his clothes, I mean... Yeah, well, if you want to nominate him, you know, you can try, but <laughs> it's not going like, to happen. <laughs> is it, I know, just saying, like, it depends what you, I suppose you consider powerful. I've got a really powerful computer in the corner, but it doesn't run, run the world. Right. Was that me? That, who nominated Sanchez? Was that Steve? Uh, was that me? Was was it? I think it was me that put him in. Uh, was it... Was it me that put, I think it was me maybe put him in, but I think we can maybe just start looking at this and just collectively decide what, where where do we sit with Mister Big then? Uh, his death scene to me is one of the main things that really pulls him out of this uh, conversation. Yeah, he was he was literally blown up, wasn't he? Yeah, I think the right person. Yeah, that was a bit disappointing. It's a shame. Uh, yeah, Gaffet Koto really had a great. I think he did really well with the character and the sort of dual character performance thing was an interesting take on it as well. But was there a slightly um with the word be sort of problematic um not perception but um portrayal I suppose because Live and Let Die I remember kind of at the time discussing how it was of the the kind of I think the word was black exploitation Siberia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember if it was Mr. Big, the sort of Doctor Kananga character, that was. There were perhaps some stereotypes and stuff in there that perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't quite sit with us now. Possibly. So I remember reading into it. Yafik Koto was initially hesitant to take the role because he was worried about how they they would portray the villain. He wanted it to be as as iconic and memorable and things like that as all the previous villains like your Goldfingers and stuff like that and he took it really seriously and uh, I think I noticed some critics kind of commented on some of the dialogue that people say that it feels very much like a white man writing for a black man Um, 
I don't know. It's probably dated. I can't remember what the examples were to bring it up, but it was not ma- massive. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I thought it, it might was not like... enough to take him out. No, I thought... not for me. I, 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 mean, I think he <clears throat> he was so good that I didn't pick up on anything that felt out of place. You know, I I thought he was great as a as a. But it's a it's a different kind of debate, isn't it? Really. I mean, it's the thing is, it was an ultimate to me, an ultimate expression of the black exploitation movie. Yeah, Do you know what I mean, it really was. I mean, like Harlem and um, Jamaica. Did they go to Jamaica? Where was it? no? It was um, uh, Haiti, I think it was, and and all sorts of things were going on, weren't they? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, or was it Haiti? I can't remember. It was, all, it, was, like, it was meant to. It was a fictitious. You think it's San Marie because it was like a fictitious right. thing. And yeah, and then there was like the, the you know the the club they went to, the wee shop Bond goes into with all the like tribal things everywhere, and you know it just the music, the kind of everything about it, you know. But then again, Mister Big, I don't know, I don't know how much that affected him, but I I do think he had the worst death scene ever. Yeah, uh, it's a shame. I, I, it is so bad the way that it's done. Oh God, it yeah. It, it, that's what it's like when you're trying to get a top three. That's what pulls him out of the conversation, unfortunately. Um, I it's agree. Such actually, a yeah. cringeworthy death that it's undeserving of the character because I think Mr. Big had menace and I think Yafit Kota was great. Yeah. Um, and it was in a film with fantastic villains anyway. Like there was a plentitude of them, uh, which would be discussed in the Henchman <laughs> podcast. But yeah, when you try and narrow this down, when you've got your Scaramanga on this list and Rosa Klebb and Trevallion already nominated, and I think for me, Mr. Big just does not make it, but it's real close. It's it's real close, but I, I would unfortunately have to cut him if, uh, if you guys agree. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, he can come out at this point. Yeah, this is the right place yeah. to exit. Right. Drax, then. Mr. Drax. Where does he fit on the list? What do we feel about Drax? Oh, I like Drax. Drax. Drax is really up there, I think. Just, I think, but like you could maybe you could argue he's not quite top three because he's too out of the realms of possibility. He's just, he's just basically the ultimate megalomaniac. <laughs> do you know the? It's like I kind of like him in a, a funny way because, like I said, the whole essence of the Bond villain is the fact that he'll try and kill. Bond, I mean, Drax just tries to kill Bond in the most elaborate ways possible. I'll take you through, right, because I'm just thinking, um, first of all, when Bond goes to visit his chateau, I mean, Bond's not exactly like going at him, you know, arriving there in an ag- aggressive accusatory mode. He's just like they're kind of investigating for the British government. Within minutes, he could have Bond just simply killed. He orders Chang to to kill Bond by making him go round round the centrifuge. He then... Um, then Bond goes out, goes shooting with me, survives, thinks, well, I'll kill him again, but I'll not again, I'll not just kill him in a simple way. I'll have one of my henchmen up in the the tree, tries to shoot him. That didn't work. So later on, I'll I'll send another henchman after him in a cable car. Um we could shoot him from a distance with a sniper rifle. We'll not do that. We'll um, we'll get Jaws to run and jump at him and maybe crush him to death. So Jaws, that didn't work. Um or before that actually, even before that, he gets Chang to come at him in a really subtle fashion in the glass factory dressed in full sort of Aikido gear you know again nothing the most unsubtle way of killing someone smash him about in the glass factory that didn't work well then when he approaches the Aztec we'll, um, we'll have a woman lead him onto this exact rock we'll make the rock pop him into the water and then the snake can finish him off that didn't work so we'll just put him in Dr. Goodhead in the exhaust bay the shuttle and we'll have the shuttle exhaust just torch them to death <laughs> 
So, I mean, and then I think he did something else in space. It's just, Jesus Christ, it's just, Hugo Drax is just... Are you like, voting for him for the worst villain here? It sounds like, I mean... <laughs> it depends, again, this is like, what, what do you consider, like, powerful? What do you consider worse than it is? You know, it's like, for me, it's like he's too charming to, there's so much of a charm and a fun to that. And they were, they were doing that in Moonraker, Moonraker... It was it was what it said in the tin. It was it was a film that was it was admitting, you know, it was to itself, we want you to have fun with this film. We're not trying to make it a deadly serious film. Yeah, that's true. It kinda it's it's getting I think his character goes in along with a lot of the positives of Moonraker. Yeah. I yeah. love that Drax is the one to almost break the fourth wall with that line about how you define you you define my every attempt at amusing deaths for you. Yeah. So he he yeah. references it and goes, you know what we know you know exactly what we're trying to do here. Let's just kind of throw that out there. It works because um, he says it so seriously as well. That's why it's yes. so dry. It's it's so yeah. dry. It's a, it's such a fantastic line, and I, I do quite like the sort of self-referential Bond elements like that. Yeah. Everything about Drax, it's not just he kills Bond in elaborate ways. Everything about his life is elaborate. You know, he's playing the piano in this huge drawing room. Within <laughs> within the space of a few hours, he has a laboratory converted into <laughs> the most kind of elaborate, beautiful drawing room you've ever seen in your life. And then he has this like big Aztec converted for industrial use. It's just he's a just he's mad. Yeah. Kind of he one ups Goldfinger by quite a fair few on that scale, then, doesn't he? Uh, but on uh, top of all the silliness, he is, I mean, in, in terms of evil, he wants to wipe out the planet and populate it with a sort of perfect race. He is effectively space Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you don't get much more evil than Hitler. So yeah. he, he's, he's got all this hilariousness about him, the amusing attempts at deaths. But also, when you actually drill down to it, you go, hang on a sec, this guy's properly megalomaniac, villainous, um, sort of mad. Yeah, like he probably born the cliche of you know the villain that's trying to take over the world like that is that was him wasn't it really? Yeah, uh, nothing Drax did was in small measures. I think I said it before. It's just where if we're gonna go at go at have a real a goat taking over the world and killing an agent, we're gonna do it in the most elaborate and fun and exciting way possible, and we're we're gonna have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he, I sense. think he looked good as well. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think Michael Lonsdale, just like the the beard and everything, that kind of villainous look. It's funny how he made it work, but Trevelyan did uh, not. Trevelyan, uh, Valentine didn't when he had the the goatee beard combo. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you, yeah, I mean, do do you is that your opinion, or do you think um, is it if I was I maybe too harsh on Sukovsky? Do you think, or is that? It's one of those ones where if they played them differently, they might not have fig- focused on it, but it was a combination of the way he's played and the, and the writing around him that then you kind of like, the beard doesn't work for him maybe, because it wasn't established as having a beard before. But yeah, I, um, this is tough. So I think Drax actually might now edge it over Goldfinger for me. Yeah. Consider... If there's a category for Ultimate Megalomaniac, I suppose it could be out of the two of them. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think I suppose we we need a we need a megalomaniac probably in our our top. Um, Tra- some of this, but is there only room for? Uh, is, is he? It kind of. I mean, the the sort of backgrounds plot was the whole. Uh, 
well, Bond's described as a petty, petty thief in the end, didn't he? But is not... Trevelyan wanting to take over the world, or is he just out for revenge? Ah, uh, yeah, okay, true. Yeah, it was. Well, it was revenge mostly, wasn't it? Um, he's trying. He's really. He's really just trying to disable the British economy, isn't he? And I suppose get back at Bond. Right. Okay. So, Electra King then is the other one we haven't really discussed. Uh, I said only there as if it's a, sorry as if it's a small thing. I'm only going to destroy the economy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What's our thoughts on Electra? Oh, I mean, she's she was great. I mentioned it a lot. Is she top five greats? Because uh... she works well as a villain and uh, one of the women of Bond. Because she obviously has that relationship with Bond, and she kind of she almost had Bond. I wonder if it's purely on the face, the bat, just the fact that that film doesn't work very well. That that's what is the where she falls down. Like she is great, and she has some great scenes, and you know the way she teases Bond and things like that. I love, but maybe just the fact that that film isn't quite all there that it kind of holds her back a lot. And again. That argument doesn't work because Scaramanga is an even worse film, and he's on this list. Um, hmm. Yeah, I wonder. It's, having Rosa Klebb on this list makes me think Electric King. And there's a completely different characters. I don't know how you even compare. It's not even the same. She's Electric King is more like Electric King came into the top Bond girls, didn't she? When we had that discussion, I can't remember now. We may well have done we. Because I, oh, I I do remember discussing her in that because obviously we talked about how she double crosses bonds and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. in te- I suppose I, I I mean my I I love Electric King as a character. I thought she was brilliant, which is why I think I I don't know if I'd have her in the list of top villains. Um, I think from I I, I wish I'd kept a note of who means what who won or um. Who won all the various categories? Uh, I think. See if I got it. Have I got it? No. Uh, I don't think. Uh, no, no, it's quite. If she we, managed we didn't, we didn't to get. Do, we didn't do a category. It wasn't a debate, debate. style, no. Yeah. That's why she, she didn't come. Yeah, she, so she was in the. I wonder if that's perhaps where I think the discussion around Electric King is best had within the context of Bond Girls than villains. Although she is a. Yeah, that's she is a fantastic thing. villain, and the way that she double crosses Bonds is actually again we were talking earlier about intelligence. She is she's really cool, calm, collected, proper double agent style intelligence, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I mean, it says something about Sophie Marceau as an actor. The way that she, she's she's been so such a profound presence that she she's essentially got into our top Bond women and top villains, which is you know, which I guess we can. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, she's no, absolutely. She's she's and the fact she even double crossed her own father. Well, he died, but yeah, she she actually assassinated her own father. She was behind his death, you know. Again, I, I mentioned earlier about how like Carver killing his wife and all that, you know, or blow uh, Goldfinger has like his henchman killed. It's like that is the sign of a megalomaniac. Yeah, yeah, she is, and I get the feeling as well that she's kind of. As much as she was probably the plot tries to explain that she was turned by Renard, and so he is kind of the ultimate one that has been in sort of pulling the strings. I, I kind of get the feeling that really she's it's switched over that she's in the, got more power over him now. Um, like him getting upset at sort of reading into her sort of she's 
advice said that she slept with Bond and all this kind of stuff. And you can tell he's jealous and all that kind of stuff. That she's got a bit more power over him. I mean, it says a lot that Electra King's in this list and Renard isn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, Renard's nowhere near it. I, I, I think I, I could cut her um, from the top three. I think again, in this as an exit point, I think this is probably where she would come out, considering yeah. who's considering the the caliber of who's left. Yeah. Aye. Come on, Electra, you're getting greedy now. You've already been top one woman. We're not giving you this as <laughs> can, well. I can Come hear, on, I can Sophie. Hear, you wouldn't. I know you're. You've probably won an Oscar and all this, but you wouldn't cut me. <laughs> <laughs> right. You'd, yeah, you'd miss me in your list. I know. I I, I love that. The 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 teasing Bond, challenging him like that. Fantastic. Right, down to the final six. We've got three highlighted and three discussed that are close. Uh, do we feel Max Zorin is better than Goldfinger? Because I, I kind of think, as much as I like Christopher Walken, maybe the film doesn't use him quite as well, and maybe he doesn't make it. Yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, Max Zorin has some great moments. Um, obviously, where he's laughing maniacally while gunning down all of his uh, associates and whatnot. He's he's a brilliant, brilliant psychopath, and I love the backstory to him, the whole um, Soviet experiment thing. Yeah. But is he top five? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. The in- Yeah, the interesting thing is as well that I'm not sure if Bond is so much of a thorn in the side of Zorin the way he is with a lot of villains, because it's like, it's actually, it's mostly Mady who spoils his plan at the end. I don't know if this is taken away from it as a villain, but it was just a point I thought of. And um, he doesn't. Bond doesn't really do much to scupper Zorin's uh, plans. I can think of immediately. Probably does, but you know the likes. But the likes of Goldfinger. I guess Pussy Galore. It was a bit more kind of on the the ball later in that film. Bond was. It was more mostly down to her. But but Bond like scuppered Goldfinger's card game. Bond Bond maybe like disrupted his night a bit in Switzerland in the factory. And Bond um, like sent the CIA. He, I think Bond maybe get the ball rolling, like sending the CIA details about the, or does it that because pussy phones Washington? I can't remember, but I feel like it's funny with Zorin, like Bond, Roger Moore's Bond's almost like a, a an annoying fly that Zorin just trying to swat away. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I personally could see him coming off the list now. Um, as much as I really do like him, uh, yeah. I think he just misses this top. So we're cutting him then. Yeah, I think so. It might be a case of actor over character, because Christopher Walken is undoubtedly brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. agree that they perhaps could have done even more with him, but they didn't. Right, this is where it gets really tough. We've got just uh, three left, two others, Drax and Goldfinger outside of the three that we've highlighted. For me, so at this point we have to kind of just give where we're at. And for me, Scaramanga is certified lock-in and, and, and Trevelyan and it's getting that final slot and my I'm looking at uh, I think maybe Rosa Klebb I, I, I never would have thought that at the beginning of this podcast but I think actually what Steve put forward at the beginning has made me actually want to keep her as the, the final highlighted slot that's interesting because I was about to suggest taking her out at this stage because I don't know yeah. if she is as Maybe, Iconic yeah, maybe not. And yeah. As yeah. Sort of maniacal as the others that are left, she's undoubtedly a sort of um, 
she's undoubtedly an icon in terms of what she did for the franchise. But in that case, it would be I would be cutting Drax. I think I don't know what you're going to say, Steve. Sorry, I've cut you off there. No, no, that's all right. I think, yeah, I, like I said, I, at this stage, top five, I think I would take out Rosa Klebb. Right. You could say as well on that point, Steve, that, yeah, in that film, it's not all Rosa, it's really go, uh, Blofeld that's pulling the strings in the background. And that's true. Cron, Kronstein's meant to be the planner of the whole operation. And so Rosa Klebb's not kind of orchestrating everything, so she's got less, um, input than maybe a lot of your Bond villains do. Yeah. But I would say, you know, I could be caught. I'm not going to take him out, but I was close to taking out Scaramanga, actually. Whoa. Whoa. I'll let you guys finish on, like, Rosa Klebb first, but... Hang yeah. on. What? Uh... I'm not taking I'm not taking him out. I was almost going to take him out because there's something that annoys me about Scaramanga. Well, let's... I mean, let's uh, so, Rosa Klebb, then, are we cutting her, then? I think at this stage, she's up against... Two incredible megalomaniacs, possibly the best villain of the series, and Trevelyan. I think I don't think she stands a chance against those four. Okay. So she's she's undoubtedly top five, and she's deservedly there. But at this point, I think it's her exit. What about you, Fran? Where are you? Where is he? Is he away? He's away. His <laughs> <laughs> his circle's still on the screen. He's just oh, he's you know. He's online. He's he's not in front of his camera though. Yeah. He's not. I think. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just cut her then. Uh. Okay. Final one to get cut then. I think it's uh. I think it's Goldfinger that stays on. Uh. It's a very tough one between Drax and Goldfinger for me. Um. It's like Goldfinger in a big golf tournament. You know, at the end at the end of the second day, who makes the cut? Oh, he's he's just he's um. Two over par or something. Mm-hmm. Goldfinger <laughs> like Oric likes his gold. Yeah, good analogy. Uh, yeah, I think Goldfinger having the film all about him. You know, the title theme, everything. Uh, gives He's him such that a presence, yeah. doesn't he? Like, there is something about that. And that was when they were still finding their feet. That film was when they fully, you know, that was it. They nailed the formula in that film, and. It, the exchanges between Bond are probably that's that's why that's why they're so quoted. I think that has to add. You have to bring that into it as much as you. Some great stuff you brought up, uh, Gordon, about Drax. Maybe the it doesn't have the same iconic dialogue that the Goldfinger stuff had. Yeah, uh, on that note, actually, Steve, I would say um, see out of the four guys we've got left here, um, three terrifically great acting talents that were sad that were you know, sadly lost. Obviously, Sean Bean's probably in the prime of his career, um, but Michael Lonsdale sadly died very recently. Gert Fogg was a long time ago. Christopher Lee in recent years, and mm-hmm. God, some career he's had. Yeah, definitely. Some man. Right. Uh, Steve, what's your thoughts on the two Remainers? It's an interesting one, because I, as, as iconic as Goldfinger is, I think on comparison, Drax might be more of the villain. Um, because, I mean, yes, he's, I mean, Moonraker is such a madcap film, and there's there's all the hilarious attempts at killing Bond that are a bit ridiculous. But then boiling it down to wanting to kill off the entire population of the world and replace them with a master race, and I mean, that's just so downright evil, whereas Goldfinger is just, 
obsessed with gold and effectively wanting to make himself richer. But I can completely see how Goldfinger is more iconic. He has got all those iconic scenes, all those iconic lines. And what I said earlier about intelligence as well, I like his plan. I like what he's trying to do. It doesn't, his plan doesn't actually harm anyone. It's, it devalues gold to make him a bit more money. Discreet, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, obviously, we can't we can't keep a villain on the list for being kind. <laughs> uh, that, that, that is true. Yeah. Yes, I think probably like Drax is the one, isn't he? I mean, yeah, they were all certainly killers because well, Goldfinger was yeah, his plan was to actually kill probably at least thousands, if not millions, of people around Fort Knox so that he could contaminate the gold but obviously galore switched the gas canisters you're led to believe so they were actually then of course like Scaramanga well he makes a bloody living out of killing people Drax was going to kill the whole world uh, Trevelyan was going to certainly <laughs> kill a lot of people in, in Britain so what, um, so to get to before we end up because it sounds like we're close to cutting Goldfinger over Drax Gordon you mentioned something about Scaramanga that annoys you you might as well air it now what is it that you want to hear uh, that could potentially get him cut from this list well see see, see when Scaramanga was in um, like on his island and the duel with Bond and the duel with the gangster at the start that was him in his zone that was him in his element the the assassin that nobody could see that he was revered around the world that was just perfect straight from Fleming but I feel they they brought um, Scaramanga's character into unnecessary territory first in the flying car which I mean and obviously that whole ridiculous chase with with Sheriff Pepper and Bond and Scaramanga and Nicknag go up in this flying car but I just feel that was unnecessary for, I mean when you see all the build-up is Scaramanga's character. When you see him in that flying car, it kind of takes something away from slightly. You know, I don't think he should have been in that situation. Flying the other, car? See, the, the other flying car, I um, he goes into, he pulls up in a garage when Bond and Pepper are pursuing him in Knick-Knack and Goodnight's in the boot. And there's a, his car suddenly sprouts wings. Scaramanga's just like, he casually brings out a little control oh, yeah, console yeah. and presses a button and wings come out of the car I'd forgotten about that yeah the other do you know the, and the other thing as well which is like unwarranted territory for Scaramanga I feel like see the whole it was almost like they gave him a secondary use in the film by having him taking control of the Solex agitator and having him he's basically explained to Bond how he, he's converted his own little solar power station out of the island right and he's gonna like sell that that to world powers and they're going to create franchises and all this stuff. I felt like that was unnecessary un- unnecessary because I think they could have just left him as the the dark, revered assassin. I didn't think he had to be he had to have that kind of added to him. Mm, yeah, that's maybe an interesting... And because do you know yeah. what weakens it as well? It's because he's given Bond a tour of the island and he, he brings Bond into this huge room that's only controlled by one guy, a console and he says to Bond about how Oh, um, science was never my strong point, Mister Bond. So apparently, this does this, and that thing does that. So it's like it, it's hardly believable that he could have, he could be controlling this whole operation, but not really know much about it. You I, know, it's just it's, it's like it seems his outlook on it seems very simplistic. He's like, oh, this will draw in the sun, and we get solar power. I mean, believable when we're we're talking about Drax and Goldfingers, the ones that could replace him with the ways that Drax was trying to assassinate Bond. It feels like. That uh, 
I don't know if that that works as as logic there. Like at this point, it's the Bond films being Bond films, isn't it? Um, uh, I I get what you're saying. There's a bit of a plot hole there, a bit of a maybe lacking in some in some thought. Some, but uh, yeah. I think, it's, but the thing, the whole thing with with Scaramangas is enough good stuff in the tank that you know he's still yeah. still one of the best. But I just thought that was worth bringing up. Fair enough. Uh, for me, he still makes it. It's a brilliant performance, and as I said before, it highlighted for me that it added an extra star and a half to that film. Um, so it's a tough one. Where where are we landing, guys? How how do we get this cut to the final three? I think it's got to be. I, th- I think really. Drax is the one to keep. Right. I just okay. feel that his plot and his... I mean, the, the list of crazy things Gordon uh, said about Drax, the way that he tried to kill folk. It was Drax, wasn't it? Yeah. And and it just... You know, a lot of that really... That's that that's a big part of a villain for me. Do you know what I mean? He's interesting, he's crazy, he's... I mean, he wears a tunic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this. He's he's got this whole plot about. I mean, he wants to. I mean, he, he is literally probably the most dangerous Bond villain of all. Really, when you think about what he was going to do. Yeah, and see people, when people talk about the the idea of James, just almost in an ironic way, James Bond has to save the world or stop a guy blowing up the world. He he literally all it was essentially wiping out the plan. I mean, that's as close as you ever get to that in the whole franchise. Okay. All right. I think we can cut Goldfinger. Um, can't believe we've got here. Goldfinger is off the list. Drax now on as the highlighted third. So now we need to, well, highlight one of those to become the winner. And is there anyone who wants to st- take a stab at this? What's your What's your thoughts, Fran? Start with you. Well, I don't know. I mean, each of these has got something special going on. Um, I always liked the fact that Scaramanga almost seemed to fancy Bond a wee bit. That sort of obsession. Mm -hmm. Um, Drax is Drax. I mean, we've talked about that recently. Trevelyan. I I would have to go with uh, Trevelyan. Now, the reason is that if you were to have, like, the top villain, it's got to be, it's almost like Bond's mirror image. I think the best enemies are, are flipped around versions of the hero. Yeah. And for me, like, you're never going to get a, 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 a more perfect villain for James Bond than Trevelyan was. Yeah. It's, it's where I'm sitting in it, but I didn't want to say initially because it's so obvious that I, I, I'm just, I'm a parody at this point, but, I was close with Scaramanga, um, because in that point you made, Fran, you could apply that in some ways to Scaramanga. That's why he is a close one. I think it's between them two, really, for me. Gordon, what about yourself? I don't know. I mean, I've I've mentioned obviously a bit of a, a detractor for Scaramanga, but he's he's just so good. And I suppose Drax's main detractor is just maybe too implausible. Trevelyan. Somehow I felt he wasn't memorable enough for me to even bring up. But now that you're mentioning all the, the whole qualities of him being the mirror image of Bond, the personal stakes, Sean Bean just uh, just owned it. Um, yeah. the scar, the scarring from the from the accident as well gave him that. Uh, you know we like our Bond villains to, or at least I do, to have a little 
um, feature, if you like. So, but I don't know. Somehow, I felt he wasn't memorable enough to be a top villain. But I don't really know actually what the negatives are with him because he's. Uh, yeah, there's, it's hard. To, it's quite getting quite hard now. I was reading somewhere or some one of these sort of listicle articles, and they mentioned him as a runner-up, but mentioned he was bland or something or generic, and I just found that weird. I mean, I know that I grew up on the film, so I just he is the basis for me. Like, the way that you know Doctor No and Goldfinger and all the people that grew up with those villains are in some ways, but I just found the the exchanges in the dialogue so good in that film that. Um, you know, I can quote so much of it, and I found that it's fun. And again, it's the he's he knows everything about Bond. He's throwing things at him, money, penny, this and and um, that, things like that. Yeah, cues, gadgets. Would, would, yeah. yeah, I mean, would we have liked Trevelyan standing there stroking a cat? I don't know. Well, he's a, that, he doesn't have to because that's the thing that exactly, beca- yeah. that became cur- that's why it's been parodied so much. Cartoons and Austin Powers have have almost ruined the Blofeld v- image of a villain. Trevelyan is still, you know, as sort of silly and almost petty as Plan is in the end. He is still a bit like, you know, it's not like a, it's not embarrassing as a as a villain in that way or, or kind of cringeworthy or anything. It's still, you know, he's got obviously dressed in black as well. He actually looks quite cool. Um, yeah, tough. Steve, where were you? Where are you? For me, I think I'm kind of clear cut on this one. Scaramanga was a great performance. I really enjoyed watching him, but he's uh, on reflection. He's not the kind of he's a thorn in Bond's side, but he's not an ultimate villain. Trevelyan, I'm not convinced, is up there as uh, similar to Gordon. I, I mean, I lo- obviously we all love the film Golden Eye, but I don't know if I would have elevated him. As much, it's more of a personal one-on-one thing with Bond. I like, I'm absolutely on board with the fact that he's a match to Bond. And I like that because you want to see, you get the the most, sort of, the biggest adversary to Bond would be a mirror image of Bond and someone who's trained to the same standard of Bond and someone who was a friend of Bond. Mm -hmm. But I think of those three that we've got left as a Bond villain, when you think of what a Bond villain should be, I think it has to be Drax because he's incredibly. I mean, his plan is outrageously evil. It's it's also a bit kind of madcap and stupid, but that's kind of almost what you expect from the Bond franchise. You want the villain to be outlandish. And I kind of like the self-referential, um, all of the attempts at, all the sort of humorous attempts at killing Bonds and then referencing that fact. He's just kind of, of those three anyway, the kind of, I suppose, ultimates. Um, sort of stereotype people like the, um, I I mean I'm struggling just as much as the rest of you with this, but for me I'm I'm coming down I think most on mm-hmm. Drax as being the most stereotypical Bond villain, and if if we're looking at best villain, rather than perhaps who put in the best performance, who's the best um Bond villain actor. I think of those three, I'm coming down most on Drax. Well, I suppose it's the wording then, in some ways, is it? I mean, it will probably will be best villain. Uh, I was trying to think how we decide best. Is it favourite? Is it, yeah, best performance? They're all very all different. It's different. Yeah. The spirit of the category is favourite in a way, but that can encompass everything. Best being, like, 
how maniacal, um, how sadistic, how much of a match of Bond, all these things play into it. Really, it's then it's our personal taste. So, Drax for you, Trevelyan for Fran, Gordon, you were. Where are you sitting then? Did you say Trevelyan as well? Because of the that you took a point off of Scaramanga? God, I don't know. <laughs> I just somehow I might have to go with Drax because I, I feel somehow that Trevelyan's not memorable enough and I can't quite put my finger on it. I think for yeah. me, the thing that slightly I will admit is that his plan is a bit much. Like his actual plot and plan is a bit much. Like the the... I don't know how long he thought he could get away with it. Like the whole manipulating satellites to essentially eradicate some records and get some money and sort of fuck yeah. the British economy for a wee bit. Like, you know, uh, was he going to just then hide away and do it again? Or what What, what was the plan there after all that? Like, was he going to cover up the paper trail? Or, I suppose he'd eradicate it maybe. I don't know. I just, it's a bit much... I'd never take too much points off of that for GoldenEye, but it's something that kind of... Yeah, you know, I think, think one thing that... See, Drax is probably more of the classic Bond villain than Trevelyan, as Scaramanga probably is as well, but both Drax and Scaramanga have the classic duel with Bond, obviously, with Scaramanga, it's the... the I think you kind of have to have that, you know, um, Bond bettering someone at... I suppose with Trevelyan, though, it's with fighting, like, but it comes down to the bare bones of why they did what they did. Like Bond Trevelyan fights. I suppose actually Trevelyan does have that because they've got that big fight to the death on on the antenna cradle. But then the likes of Drax Bond um, betters him at the the pheasant shooting, or well, I don't know if he does that exactly, but he um, at least he has a go. It's like Bond. It's the same as like Goldfinger with the golf game, Zorin with the um, the horses like Kamal Khan with the the, the gambling, and then Scaramanga. Yeah, like I said, it's actual. Like one in one duel with, I don't know, man. Help me, someone. Yeah. Help I, me. Right. We're going to have to try and make a decision here. This is tough. Uh, Steve has made a great point for Drax. I'm almost convinced. Um, Do we even well, go about I've been, as I've well? been listening very carefully to these, these uh, arguments, I suppose. I mean, the thing is, Drax, <sighs> Drax is the the stereotypical James Bond villain in every way. Do you know what I mean? Not stereotypical, I don't know if that's the right word. He's he's, he's the James Bond villain. Like he does he does everything a Bond villain would do to the maximum. Yeah. Um is the archetypal. Yeah. Yes, that's the Bond word. Villain. That's it right there. So I guess it comes down to whether we feel that the Bond villain the ultimate Bond villain should be the ultimate Bond villain. <laughs> I suppose when you put it that way, it would be Drax. Well, it's Drax or Blofeld. I mean, the Blofeld incarnations and some some of them were the archetypal most parodies of parodied Blofeld, haven't they? It's the Spectre thing. Yeah, uh, so I, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think what made Trevelyan, Trevelyan important was that they did something and they did something interesting there with him. But I guess we need to we need to work out the criteria in our minds. Now, I suppose to my mind, listening to the discussion a bit, um, I can kind of see the the logic and the the ultimate Bond villain being the one that displays the archetypal uh, qualities. There, I mean, I would I would 
I don't know. I mean, I can defend Trevelyan, but I'm defending Trevelyan not as it's not to do with Bond. It's to do with the fact that he's written very well, and and I feel like he was quite um, innovative in some ways. Yeah, but that, possibly. But but is that what it's all about? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's what. That's not the criteria for being the best Bond villain. Well, we I mean? we make up what the spirit of this category is in a sense. It's uh, this is why subjectivity kind of as great as it is. Also, it, it's hard. It's hard to get to the yeah. the point we all agree because this is where you know everyone's opinion is is different and coming at it from different perspectives. That's why I try and ditch the subjectivity when we get to kind of top 10, top 5, and try to look at it objectively, which is, it's tricky. Um, but it's for that reason I think I'd say Drax over Trevelyan, because if I, if I was thinking subjectively, I probably would be landing on Trevelyan, because I, I love that film, I love that performance, I think Sean Bean's great, and I love the fact that um, Trevelyan's a proper adversary. But that is, that's it's kind of, in the grand scheme of things, getting revenge on bonds to kind of make a dent at the British economy versus wiping out the entire planet and replacing it with a master race. <laughs> Objectively, it's difficult to pitch one against the other. What about the idea of the the actual performance as an actor, taking away their motivations as a character? The one thing that Drax... Oh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say undoubtedly it's got to be Sean Bean. I mean... yeah. yeah. That's I mean, the thing for me. I think the, that's where I'm coming from, mostly. Yeah, so I'll let you finish, man. No, it was just, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to the actor that played Drax. Now, who was it again? Because he died recently, didn't he? Yeah, Michael Lonsdale. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to him at all. I mean, he played he played it the way it should be played. But I mean, he's but the, the, the depth of acting displayed by Sean Bean playing Trevelyan, um, the, the kind of... Like the the change in Trevelyan from the start to the end when you see him at the beginning and um you know, he displays all different kinds of I mean it, Drax is almost an emotionless robot mm-hmm. in comparison. Um I mean that's definitely I mean I, I the, there's just no contest there. I can't imagine anybody would say that that uh, Sean Bean wasn't the better actor. I don't two. know, because I would then bring in Christopher Lee Scaramanga. Because his yeah. performance was just in the sort of context of that film, he absolutely—I think he owns that film. He was the reason that film was particularly good. Yeah, from an acting standpoint, out of those three, you would definitely be Scaramanga, Steve. Absolutely, I would say I'm going to stick up for Hugo here because I think, see, with Trevelyan, first of all, I was just trying to think there about the whole background, his motivations. So his parents were Leanne's Cossacks, and it's mentioned in Bond's meeting with Trevelyan that MI6 knew that he was a Leanne's Cossack, but they still employed him. I don't think MI6 would employ a Leanne's Cossack. And then also, on top of that, now, I'm, again, this is I'm getting very detailed here, but I think this is necessary. See, um, obviously, Trevelyan must have found out at some point what happened to his... Um, Parents and it's you know it's really like the the British government decades ago um maybe you know did a quite a terrible thing by executing all these people they viewed as traitors but why did he just suddenly wake up one day and decide to switch sides I mean surely he would know about that and not want to work for the government in the first place like why go to all that length or even if you did and then you found out a while after when you're already an established double killer you know. 
why not? Maybe a better way for him to go about his business would have been to go under the radar, sneak information out of MI6 to use against them. Why go through the whole staged, you know, um, pretending that Oromov had killed him and then then making it obvious that he's up to something maybe, but they think he's dead. I don't know, but then then you could say, of course, like Drax, um, what he did wasn't realistic. So I, I don't know, but I feel that, like, Trevelyan's motivations, I think maybe, like, kind of edge him out of this. Hmm, interesting. The thing about the Christopher Lee nomination um, on that point about motivations, his is a bit more straightforward. It's a straightforward film. There's not a lot going on. They took, They actually slightly overly complicated with the energy crisis storyline behind it you're right gordon they probably should have just kept it as a deadly assassin it's trying to kill mi6 agents um or whatever and that's the reason they've sent him to get him uh and it's a simpler story probably benefits from that the trevelyan motivations i mean i remember mentioning in the the, the golden eye podcast that his plan was ridiculous going on that mission with Bond and then knowing that he's going to then pretend to be killed but he's obviously got a room of on side and guessing all the Soviet guards uh, and then he's going to sneak out but he knows the building's going to blow up in a few minutes so he's going to have to make sure he did it okay. Then he's going to set up this crime syndicate and it's it's kind of nonsense <laughs> but it's fun nonsense the same way that Moonraker is um, yeah. and that's the thing about Bond isn't it? They're always bizarre but when you start thinking about them at least pre Casino Royale, um, they they fall apart completely. So we end up at this standstill. I'm flitting between all three. My heart says Trevelyan because I just love all the exchanges, and I've said countless times how much I love that character. And I think there's menace, and there's also some pathos there. The scene when they the he reveals to Bond in Statue Park. It's helped by Brosnan. The shock. The actual there's a there's emotion there. He actually looks like he can't believe it. Um, his friend has turned, and and Sean Bean is the way he's lit everything. His performance, he's kind of gloating. He's he's obviously reveled the fact that he's getting to reveal this to his best friend. Ah, uh, yeah, Scaramanga as well. Uh, Christopher Lee, how do you how do you? He's so good. Hmm. All right. We... Do we come? Is this coming down to a show of hands, or it might actually is there any have argument to? Because it, it sounds like we're not. So you're 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 fully on the Drax side. Gordon, I think I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon, you're where? Scaramanga or Drax? I'm Team Drax. Right. Two for Drax. So it comes down in Fran is Trevelyan. <clears throat> um, on the basis that I am tied on where I am, I will actually side on the Drax side purely because I think your arguments are great and I think that I think there is something he did bring Michael Lonsdale did bring to it that was different um, as much as I love all this stuff from Trevelyan and I, uh, you know I, I think that I can I could I could give I could see Drax winning this so yeah we actually have a winner then um, on that basis Fran Sorry, I know that you obviously were with me on the Trevelyan side, and I've turncoated. <laughs> I know you absolute, absolute. It's like podcasters um, against each other as they're spies, but yeah, um, you know, we're throwing microphones at each other. I'm the but, um, villain. I mean, I, I can see it. That's what I was saying as well about 
you know, depending on what what we're looking for here, you know. Yep. I mean, I'm I'm happy with it. I mean, I, I love Christopher Lee as well. Um, I mean, all three of them are great. Yeah. You know. Yeah, really... that's that's a high yeah. bar. These guys all set. Um, and the Winds Cup just prior to it as well, Rosa Klebb and things like that, Electric King, yeah. were were great. Yeah. And so yeah, it, we we knew from the start this was going to be a long, tough slog because this is what some of the the films have really, um, done really well. Uh, their villains have been great. So yeah, it makes sense that this was a bit of a a bit of a slog to get through and get to here. But I think, congratulations to Hugo Drax, you are our best villain. Uh, for the Capiche Bondaf project, and we'll send the trophy up in a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And runners up: uh, Alec Trevelyan from Goldeneye and Scaramanga, man with the golden gun. Okay, guys, I will end this because it's been going on quite a bit, and yeah, we'll uh, reconvene uh, once we decide uh, after the podcast. But thank you for joining me for this debate. This is this has been fun. And we will be back for more Ranking Bond. Thank you. Bye-bye.